beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ. When we uh, begin this text here, uh, Psalm chapter 40, notice uh, verse 17. This is a good place to begin this psalm, just thinking about these particular words. that David says that I am poor and needy, and yet the Lord thinks upon me. Do you see yourself as one who is poor and needy, in need continually? I think oftentimes what we don't do is we don't reflect upon uh, the, the particular people, as it were, in the Old Testament, and to think about their life and what they went through and the struggles and the problems that they had. For instance, have you spent much time thinking about Jeremiah? And what actually happened to Jeremiah as a prophet to the nations? And as he brought the word of God to Israel, to Jerusalem, and how he was despised and hated by the people of Israel. You ever thought about what happened to him when his own people took him and lowered him into a pit? Now, the pit that Jeremiah was lowered into didn't have any water in it at the time, But because it was a pit at one time that had much water in it, then the sediment at the bottom was a mucky type of a sediment so that when he set him in, he just sunk right down into it. And that was his life as a weeping prophet. There was much lamentation in the life of Jeremiah. We read that with Elisha. We read that with Elijah. We read that in Ezekiel. We read that with Isaiah. There are all difficulties and problems and things that go on in this life. And even in the New Testament, James says in James 5, that we are to consider the prophets as an example of patience and suffering. Well, we can't consider them if we don't read them and understand what their life was like and the difficulties that they went through. So that's why the Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 15, he writes this, verse 4, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. He says basically the same thing that he wrote in 1 Corinthians 10, that it was through the learning of the Scriptures, the things that happened in the past, that we would not fall into the same things as they did. So it's instructive. So it is a good thing for us to go back and to read the Old Testament and to think upon the lives of the saints of the Old. The writer to the Hebrews in chapter 11 speaks about a whole host of what happened to those of the Old Covenant. Sawn in two, they were sown in goatskins and sheepskins. They were destitute. They were dwellers on the earth, lived in caves of the earth. They were neglected. They were hated. They were despised. And rightly so. Jesus said, if it happened to me, it's going to happen to you as well. So it is a good exercise to go back and look to what went on in the Old Covenant and to understand um, how then, as poor and needy people, we are to approach unto a God. We are to come to Him, crying out to Him, finding strength in Him, finding comfort in Him. Because... Truth be told, we all go through the mucks. And that's what David is saying right here. He picked him out of the miry clay. You know, what's comforting about this is David is the king. And even kings go through times of mire and muck. We find this psalm particularly is a psalm of thanksgiving and lamentation. 
thanksgiving for God's deliverance and lamenting that God would then continue to redeem and rescue and provide for his people in the future. And I find my life to be that often is thanksgiving and lamentation. Lamenting. It's a good thing to lament. Jeremiah wrote the book of Lamentations. And that's what it means, to lament. The lamenting of the people of God. We don't do that enough, but Romans 12, the Apostle Paul says that we are to weep with those who weep. We rejoice with those who rejoice, but we weep with those that weep. And there is much weeping in the Christian life. The Christian life is difficult. The Christian life is a struggle. You, you cannot have Christ dwelling in you and you not have a struggle in this world. Because the philosophy, the theology, the ideology of Scripture is contrary to that of the world. So you are going to have a worldview warfare continually with the worldlings with those who are in Adam, those who are outside of Christ. It is going to be a continual smashing of the head, as it were. So prepare yourself for that. And you're not going to be liked by some people. Well, we live in a culture that wants to be so liked that, boy, you don't say anything any longer. I mean, you can't joke because people, you know, two days later they'll be accusing you of something that you know and everybody knows it was just a joke and now they're taking it as something that was serious. So nobody wants to talk to anybody anymore because everybody's offended by everything that everybody says. That's a sadness in the world. And therefore it causes lamenting. It causes difficulty in relationships. It causes the church not to be and function as the church. What does that mean? That means that we are to come to one another. We are to admonish one another. We are to bring the word of, mind to, of God to mind to each other. Bring God's word to your mind with the things that you're struggling with. With the difficulties of life. What does the scripture say? Not what does the expert of the world say. What does the word of God say regarding this particular matter, this situation or circumstance that you're going through? How do I deal with this particular thing? This is what God's Word says. And there is much lamenting then that goes on in the life of the saints. So this is what we find here uh, with David. David is rejoicing and he's giving thanks to God. And at the same time, he's struggling with a lament. But I think what's comforting to me is to know that he doesn't give the specifics of what he speaks about regarding the miry clay. And he's speaking metaphorically. David wasn't literally in the muck like Jeremiah was, but he's speaking about maybe a sin that he had committed, a circumstance that he was in, maybe the time of defeat that he went through, something that he calls uh, miry clay. And he brought me out of the horrible pit. This is the Lord's work, and this is what he does in the life of his people. Notice the title. It says the chief musician. Now, the titles are inspired as well. The chief musician. It's probably Asaph. Uh, he was one of the chief musicians exalted to that position by David. Given This music was given to Asaph by David to then put it to, to, to notes, to tune, to, to music. So that the people of God would be able to sing this song. 
David, uh, being a psalmist, also Asaph, uh, they would be able to track with one another uh, as the Word of God was then being put to psalm. Uh, to song. And this is what we have here as David begins first, I waited patiently for the Lord. Now, most of us have a hard time with this. We have a hard time with waiting patiently. What does it mean to wait patiently? Patient waiting would not be running ahead of the Lord. In other words, knowing what God has revealed in His Word, we wait upon the Lord to bring to pass, to fulfill all of His good pleasure. We don't try to take matters into our own hands. It's waiting. It's bringing it to the Lord in prayer and waiting for the Lord to bring it to pass. Elijah, uh, James speaks about this in James 5. He speaks about Elijah being a prophet just like us. He speaks of like passions like us. What does that mean, like passions? You know, I don't want to wait. I want the rain, and I want it now, or I want it stopped, and I want it now. I want things now. I don't want to wait. Elijah would have suffered and struggled with that as well. Wanting the Lord to bring these things to pass immediately. But where is it that we grow? We grow... As we wait upon the Lord. We grow when we go through times of struggle. In lament. In tribulation. In trial. It stretches us. It grows us as Christians. Now you didn't hear me say that it was easy. It's not. It's hard. It's difficult. That's why as the people of God. We are called to be soldiers, farmers, athletes. Persevere. Sweat. Keep fighting. This is what we do. Trust, hope, wait upon the Lord. I mean, you plant that seed in the ground. You can't make it grow any faster. The Lord must give and bless the growth. So we then struggle along in this way of of desiring to wait patiently upon the Lord. This doesn't mean inactivity. You keep praying. You keep doing the things that you are called to do as a Christian. Husbands, you keep nourishing and cherishing your wives with the water of the Word. Families, you keep raising up your children in the fear and instruction of the Lord. You keep on having family time, family devotion. You keep ministering, fathers, to your children. You bring the Word. You bring the book. You minister to your family. And you keep on and you wait for a richer season of God's grace in your life. You wait upon Him to bring these things to pass. And it's through the growing time, through that time of tribulation, that significant growth that the Lord brings in the Christian life. A trust, a settled trust in the confidence of God's providential dealings. That I don't, might not know exactly why I'm going through what I'm going through and the difficulties that we're struggling with. I don't know. I don't understand the exact and specifics of it. But I do know His heart. I do know Him. I can trust Him. As He said, all things are working together. Not will or may. They are. Whether I understand it or not. I can't see it at times working together for my good. But I have the promise. I don't walk by sight. I walk by faith. Trusting His promises. Waiting patiently. Beloved, maybe you need to go to the Lord this morning and confess your impatience. Confess to the Lord that you don't often wait. 
Saul was not to give the sacrifice, and it was Samuel to give the sacrifice. And there were, the Philistines were, were mounting up against the Israelites, and Saul became impatient. And so he, he offered the sacrifice, which he was instructed not to do, but he did it anyway. And the kingdom was taken from him. We find that with the king Asa did the same thing, and leprosy came upon him for doing what he ought. Wait on the Lord. Psalm 27 is the same way. Wait upon the Lord, and He will bring it to pass. We can't make things happen, beloved. It's got to come in God's timing, and according to His glory, for His glory. We've been praying for Pastor Lee Johnson now for it's coming up on a year. And it seems like, when, Lord? When? Is he going to be restored in his voice? Is he going to be able to preach again? Is he going to be able to continue to serve as pastor of this congregation? Well, when? When, Lord, are you going to bring it to pass? David says, wait. Wait upon the Lord. He has a purpose in this. I don't know what it is. But the Lord knows. And so we wait patiently for him. Notice where the impatient David, as David could be impatient, notice where he went. He went to the Lord. That's where we need to start, beloved. We need to start with our impatience of going to the Lord and confessing that to him. That I've desired to run ahead of you, Lord. I've wanted to become impatient and not wait upon what you have revealed in your word. It will backfire every time. And notice that David says, as he waited patiently for the Lord, that the Lord heard his cry. And he inclined to me and heard my cry. Now, the Hebrew word there, inclined, uh, has the the force of uh, bending down or stooping to hear. Now, you've seen that, and maybe you've done that with grandchildren or little children. And they've said something to you, and you didn't quite hear them, so you stooped down to them to get a whole ear of it, to hear what they're saying. Because there's a difference, isn't there, between hearing and listening. God listens attentively to the prayers of His people. He not only hears, but He listens. You wives know what I'm talking about, because... Your husbands often hear you, but they're not listening. And that's what we call selective hearing, right? They're not paying attention. And that's why when you ask them again, they mumble at you. Oh, what did you say, hon? Well, I thought you said you heard me. Well, I did, but I wasn't listening. God listens to his people. He not just doesn't hear us praying. He's attentive To our cry. And that's what David says here. He inclined. David is demonstrating here that God is a prayer answering God. That he does hear and he does answer and respond to the prayers and petitions of his people. So wait patiently. And keep on praying. And as Jesus said, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, keep on asking. Present tense, keep on coming to the Lord again and again and again. Asking in accordance with His Word. The healing of the sick is in accordance with God's Word. Whether or not God is going to heal that individual, that is God's province. 
He has the right as the sovereign king. But our responsibility is to be a people of prayer that comes and our confidence is upon Him. You know, we prayed it. We prayed during the, the pandemic about the virus and about not having to wear masks and, and sectioning off and, and two worship services and, and all the other things. And we prayed and, and, and the Lord brought it to pass. Now, do you think, according to the teaching of Scripture, do you think any trial or difficulty or problem is, that happens in the life of the church is not a learning lesson? Now, I just read to you Romans chapter 15 about the things that happen aforetime happened for our learning and for our instruction so that we would not commit the same sins of those in the past. So that means in every situation of life, there is a learning lesson for us. What did we learn from 2020? What did we learn about gathering together as the people of God? What did we learn about the preciousness of the ministry of the Word? What did we learn about how precious and how fragile fellowship can be? What did we learn about the necessity and the essentiality of our fellowship as believers? What did we learn about prayer in our lives as we went through 2020? What did we learn about how precious it is to be able to partake of the bread and the wine in remembrance of the Lord Jesus Christ? What did we think about the blessing that we have of gathering together as one body, lifting up our voices in prayer and praise to our God? What did we learn from all of that? You see, there's a learning lesson. I'm not quite sure, beloved, if the church learned the lesson. Do you remember those days when we couldn't gather together as a congregation? As a whole congregation. That there was two, two shifts, as it were. There was a morning, there was an evening. And that went on. And some of you didn't see one another for months because of that. And then the day came, and I think it was in September of 2020, that we were able to come back together as one congregation. And we would be of one voice and one mind as we walked together serving the Lord. What did you learn from the time of absence? Did you learn how easily and how fearful the church can be? And how easily the things that we take for granted could be taken from us? God hears our cries and he brought it to pass in his timing so that we might learn from the providential hand of God how we are to live our lives according to the word. We respond to his providence by understanding and being filled with the word. David says that God hears the cries of his people. He heard my cry. David was crying as he said he brought him up out of a horrible pit. Again, this is metaphors. David is not literally in a horrible pit. He is in a mess of some sort. He doesn't say what the mess is, which gives us comfort, right? Because we're all kinds of messes that we get into. 
And the Lord hears and inclines to us and lifts us up out of the horrible pits that we find ourselves. Maybe the pit of sin. Maybe David is referring here to this particular pit. The pit of sin. The consequences of his sin with Bathsheba. And the problems that he had internally and externally. In his kingdom. Within his own family. Because of that. Maybe he's lamenting a circumstance as a result of the sin with Bathsheba. That the sword would never leave his house. And so now he struggles with Absalom, his own son. Maybe that is the pit of circumstances. The horrible pit that the Lord delivers him out of. Being chased all over the Palestinian desert by Saul for years. And then now by uh, Absalom, his son. Chased out of Jerusalem. Chased out of the kingdom. Out of the castle. Out of the king's house. By his son. Maybe that's the pit David is speaking about. That the Lord then delivered David. And Absalom was killed. Maybe it's the circumstances. Maybe the struggle of being in the desert. And not having the food and the water and and the clothing. And the things that were necessities. Things that we take for granted. That circumstance. Maybe that was the pit that David was going through. Maybe it was the time when Shimei cursed David. And then Absalom said, oh, let me, or Abner said, let me go take off his head. No, no. The Lord had said to him, curse David. Let him curse. Maybe he's through that. And as David said, maybe the Lord will look upon me and see and have pity upon me in this plight. Maybe that was the circumstance. Hated by the family of Saul now and called a man of blood. And you have ousted our father. You killed our father. It was because of you that he died. And so the dynasty of Saul's family, uh, feuding now with that of David, maybe that's the circumstance. Maybe that's the horrible pit that he's in. He doesn't say, but God rescued him. And God rescues us time and time again. Isn't it wondrous? And isn't it strange? And isn't it amazing? This quote by Spurgeon, that though I've changed 10,000 times, you have not changed once. That's humbling. We change all the time. I mean, is there anyone that could be said, their yes is yes and their no is no? I mean, where is the virtuous woman that one can find? Proverbs 31. Who can find a righteous man? It's Christ alone. And yet God pulls us out of this horrible pit, out of the miry clay. And notice where He sets our feet. He sets our feet upon the rock. Psalm 61, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. This is a metaphor again. Stability is what a rock gives. It's a place where you're not going to be flooded over. The two builders in Matthew 7, build upon the rock. Dig deep. Dig down into the rock base. That gives you stability. It causes you to stand on solid footing. So when the storms come, they're not going to wash you down the river. You know, floods in those days in Palestine, where it was dry, what they called wadis, there was a place where water would run. It reminds me of when I lived in California. They would have the runoff from the mountains. 
And when the snow would begin to melt, the water would come down there and they would, you know, you've probably seen movies. Well, maybe you haven't, but there's river basins that in Los Angeles, maybe you've seen it on the news. Certain times of the year, people get washed down through the flood because they get in that river basin area where the runoff comes. And when it comes, it comes in a torrent. Flooding is often in areas that are dry and parched land. So when the rain comes, it's so hard, it runs off, it doesn't soak in. Now, this foot upon this rock keeps us, this metaphor, thinking about this. I set my house upon this, and then when the storm comes, it doesn't wash me away. It's not part of the sand. Sand moves and shifts. But not so the rock. And so... We're laid upon the rock. We're put upon the rock. You know, again, it's spoken of the rock. If the rock falls on you, it's going to crush you to powder. If you fall upon the rock, you're going to be broken. And a broken spirit and a contrite heart, these are those that God does not despise. We need to be broken. David is broken here. David, when he says, I'm needy, I'm poor, he's a broken man. It's our best place, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. See, you're not relying on yourself, on your own strength, your own ingenuity. That's Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, consider Him and He will direct your path. Delight yourself in the Lord, Psalm 37. And He will give you the desires of your heart. There it is, beloved is being established upon Christ Jesus. The rock and the redeemer, our redemption. He is the one who followed the children of Israel in the wilderness. The rock was Christ that gushed forth water. What will come forth out of our heart? Springs of living water. Uh, That is foreshadowed right there with Moses and the rock in the wilderness. Paul said that, 1 Corinthians 10, that the rock was Jesus Christ. God sets us upon Christ. You know, when you think about the problems and the difficulties you go through, what are they when you start considering eternity? What are they when you start considering that your sovereign God reigns, that our God rules, that He is the one who is upholding all things with the word of His power? What are they when you think about them in light of eternity? When you think of them in light of our sovereign, omnipotent God who is upholding all things by the word of His power? They become infinitesimal. They become very small in comparison. That's why when the Apostle Paul speaks about our light afflictions, they they don't feel light when you're going through them. But in comparison to eternity, speed bump in life. That's what our struggles are. Get, Get it to perspective correct. The inward man is being renewed. Yeah, my body is falling to the earth. But there's a resurrection coming. There's a new body coming. But the inward man, even through the outward man falling, he is being renewed and strengthened day by day. More and more conformed to Christ's image. He set my feet upon a rock. Beloved, this feet upon a rock is a trust in God's word, isn't it? That's what we find Jesus speaking about in Matthew 7. The rock is the sayings of Christ. That's what he's referring to. It's a metaphor, and it is referring to his sayings. 
So it's establishing ourselves upon Christ Jesus. God has set us there. He's taken us from this perilous, this perilous condition, this situation, and he's brought us on the rock, Christ Jesus, where we have stability. He's established my steps. And he has put a new song in my mouth. Notice this. When God redeems his people, or when he rescues his people, what does he do? He puts a new song in their mouth. I'm thinking, uh, turn to Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15. And notice, again, this is not just that God redeems somebody eternally, uh, as in forgiving them of their sins, but when He rescues people. How should you respond to God's rescue? Um, Maybe you were in a car crash, and God kept you from being killed. He rescued you in that sense. Notice the response, Exodus 15. Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord and spoke, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. And he goes on. Uh, the Lord is a man of war, and the Pharaoh's chariots and his army were cast into the sea. This is a song that they're singing. They're singing a song of redemption. They're singing a song of rescue. God has rescued His people. And our response is to sing unto the Lord a new song, a fresh song as it were. A song of joy and, a, and, and jubilation as we come to the Lord because of His rescue. He's put a new song in my mouth. Singing is a, is a great virtue. It's a great blessing to the life of God's people. And God has put a new song as He rescues us again and again and over and over and provides for us as the good shepherd who cares for His sheep. How's your singing, beloved? How's your singing unto the Lord? How's your joy and glory in His rescue and His provision? Thinking about the blessing of being set upon the rock, Christ Jesus. Of having the word of Christ. Being able to discern truth from error. Because you have the standard, which is God's word. How's your new song? Is it praise to our God? That's what you saw with Moses there. In the rescue of the children of Israel from the Egyptians. So the Lord drowned them. He put the song, and the song wasn't, Hey, you know what? We did a great job. We should be proud of ourselves. That wasn't the song. It wasn't a song of glory in Moses. We thank you. You're such a wonderful leader. You're so wise and understanding. It wasn't a song to Moses. It was a song to the Lord. And this is what David says. This new song that he puts in my mouth, that fresh song, that song of rejoicing, is a song to him. It's a praise to our God. You know, when people are praising the Lord when they're giving thanks to the Lord, when they're exalting the name of the Lord, it's revealing something of their heart, isn't it? It's showing their love and their desire in their heart. And the more that we sing to the glory of our God, the more we desire to sing to the glory of our God. And it's reciprocal. That's why there is antiphonal singing in the Old Testament, which means one side singing to another side, singing back to that side, and back and forth they were singing to one another. That's the hearts of God's people who have been rescued, who know that they're poor and needy. Even as in the condition of being redeemed, I'm poor and needy. 
preaching, teaching, reading, ministering, speaking, living. I need the Lord every moment of every day. That's why we sing it. We sing the hymn. I need thee every hour. That doesn't mean at 12 and then at 1. That means the whole time of my life. I need you. I need you continually. It's in you and you alone that I live and move and have my being. You are the one who supports me and keeps me and provides for me. You're my good shepherd who leads me by the word of your power. You speak to me and I hear. You speak to me and I follow. This is the God who has redeemed us and we respond with song. We respond as a people of singing. Many will see it in fear. Notice and think about this in the, the, Belgian, or the Heidelberg Catechism. Uh, question and answer 86. With regards to our life. And that by our godly walk we might win others also to Jesus Christ. It's saying basically the same thing. Many will see in fear. Not fear and run and trembling in the corner. Not fear of punishment. Many will see and will fear as a reverence, morally reverent behavior before the Lord. They will trust in the Lord. They will fear Him in that way. In worship, in obedience. That's what it means to fear the Lord. Many will hear. You know, the Apostle Paul, when many heard that his, his prisonment, his stripes were because of Christ, his chains were because of Christ, they became more bold and went out preaching the Word. And so it is by the testimony of the people of God, redeemed, rescued, provided for, set upon a rock, a new song put into my mouth, and singing that song, not being concerned about what my neighbor thinks about my singing voice, but singing to the Lord a new song, singing to the Lord all the earth, and in this others see and hear and fear. How do you children think about your parents singing? Is there singing at home? Is there singing in response to God's rescue? His redemption in that way? In a temporal sense, is there singing? Is there prayer? Is there family worship? Is it strange to you, children, or young people, if your parents started singing one of the hymns? Would that be strange? Would that be bizarre? Would you say to your sibling, wow, it's... Mom's freaked out. What's wrong with her? Because she's never sung hymns, hymns of praise, anything that exalts the Lord before. What would your children say about your worship privately at home? What do you hum? What are the tunes that are on your mind? You know, hopefully we, we get these hymns down into the soul. And maybe on your deathbed, you won't be singing the highway to hell, but you'll be singing praise to our God, the Almighty, the King of creation. Maybe you'll be singing, oh, guide me, thou great Jehovah, pilgrim in this weary land. I am weak, but you are mighty. Feed me with the bread from heaven, O oh Lord. Will you be singing that? And will others hear and see your response? People are watching. Martin Luther once said that you are the only Christ your neighbor ever sees. The Christian. Christ in you. The hope of glory. Many will see and watch 
and will come to trust in the Lord. Is that our lives, beloved? Waiting patiently upon the Lord, recognizing our redemption out of the pit. And because of that redemption out of the pit, that rescue that God has provided for us, maybe in sin, maybe in a circumstance, maybe in a defeat in life, maybe in a disappointment, maybe in a sickness or an affliction, and God has delivered. Do you respond in song? Is that what God has put into your heart? A fresh new song to sing to Him. You sing it in a fresh way when you come through sickness. It does something to us. It humbles us. And many ought to see and fear and trust in the Lord. This is what David is calling us to here. Be thankful to the Lord in prayer and in praise. And may his name ever be exalted. Amen. Shall we pray?